standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go Beyond the Bell. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's a very special edition of Beyond the Bell as we look back at the greatest legends and superstars of professional wrestling history. In just a few short days, the WWE will be inducting a select amount of stars, a select group of individuals, into the 2013 class of their Hall of Fame. Each inductee has made a mark in this industry and tonight we will go back in time and take an in-depth look at their career and the monumental achievements they made in the world of sports entertainment. Whether you are young or old, big or small, we will take you back in time to relive the careers of these future Hall of Famers. I'm your host, Sean Beckerman, and welcome to the 2013 WWE Hall of Fame A special edition on Beyond the Bell. This year, we celebrate the careers of Donald Trump, Trish Stratus, Booker T, Bob Backlund, Mick Foley, and Bruno Sammartino. Like I mentioned, this is a very special edition of Beyond the Bell, not just because we're celebrating the 2013 class of the WWE Hall of Fame, but we are live for this edition of Beyond the Bell. Outside of the behind the mic specials we've had, this is the first ever edition of BTB that we are recording live backstage at an independent wrestling event. That's why you hear the claps as we intro the show. I have friends and fellow colleagues here to listen to the professional ring announcing voice of Sean Beckerman as we remember and celebrate the class of 2013. This year's Hall of Fame special is split into two parts. Part one, tonight will feature the careers of Trish Stratus, Bob Backlund, and the hardcore legend Mick Foley. Part two, we'll look at Donald Trump, Booker T, and Bruno Sammartino. At the end of each career retrospective, we will have some retro audio for you fans that will take you back in time to remember the great superstars a part of this class. So without further ado, let's kick off the 2013 inductees to the WWE Hall of Fame. So, who wants some sweet satisfaction? Introducing first from Toronto, Canada, Trish Rutters! Good looks, you got the wrestling ability, a lot of athletic ability. I'm impressed. 
I think you got a future in this business, kid. Oh, with a satisfaction. And Trish has done it. Trish is a new women's champion. WWE Diva of the Decade is Trish Stratus. Thank you so much. This is such an honor. Being named Diva of the Decade, certainly a highlight in my career. I'm still blown away by that. That is a new Divas magazine, and oh, I'm on the cover. How good. In my book, the greatest women's champion in WWE history. One of the greatest Divas ever. A seven-time women's champion. I love this moment. I love this, and I love this. What an ovation, and rightfully so, in her last match. One of Kendra's greatest exports is going to have a night and a memory that will last forever. Trish is another diva that set the bar for all types of young ladies that watch and said, you know what, I can be more than just a model or a spokesperson. I can be an athlete. I can really be a star. I can be Trish Stratus. Thank you for coming on this amazing, awesome ride. Thank you. Congratulations, Trish. There was never anyone any better. Stratus was born December 18, 1975. From fitness model to women's champion, Trish has done it all. Stratus grew up in Richmond Hill, Ontario, Canada, where she attended Bayview Secondary School. She always loved fitness and nutrition. While working as a receptionist at a local gym, she was approached by the publisher of Muscle Mag International to do a test shoot for the magazine. She later appeared on the cover of the May 1998 issue and was signed to a two-year contract. During this time, she was the third host of live audio wrestling on Toronto Sports Radio. This was her introduction into professional wrestling. She'd been a fan since childhood, and her modeling career caught the attention of the World Wrestling Federation. In November of 1999, she was signed to a multi-year contract with the company. She was trained by Ron Hutchinson. I was in the crowd for her debut in the WWF as a heel manager on March 19th in the year 2000 of an episode of Sunday Night Heat. She appeared on stage to scout WWF superstars Test and Prince Albert. The next night on Raw, Stratus began her first role in the company, managing the team of TNA, Test and Albert. She also began managing then-heel Val Venus to win the Intercontinental Championship, but their partnership ended at SummerSlam after Venus lost the title. Then, on June 22nd, Stratus made her in-ring debut on SmackDown, winning a tag team match with TNA against the Hardy Boys and Lita. A storyline feud between Stratus and Lita developed after the match with Stratus attacking Lita on episodes of Raw and SmackDown. This will be the beginning of their long-standing feud, which ended Trish Stratus's career in a sense. Initially, their feud led them to an Indian strap match on the July 24th edition 
of Monday Night Raw, which Stratus won with the help from Stephanie McMahon. In early 2001, Stratus became involved in an angle with WWF champion Vince McMahon during a time when Vince's wife Linda was institutionalized in storyline following a demand that Vince had made for a divorce during an episode of SmackDown. This was to close out the year 2000. The angle continued, especially to an edition of Raw, with Vince forcing Stratus to strip down to her black underwear in the ring and bark like a dog. Not the finest moment for Trish at that time. The storyline came to an end at WrestleMania 17 when Stratus slapped Vince during his match against his son Shane, becoming a fan favorite in the process. Trish got back at Vince for all he had done to her. Following her face turn, Stratus began wrestling part-time. Everyone thought she was just another pretty face, a manager at best. After returning from an ankle injury, Stratus appeared at the Survivor Series where she won the WWF Women's Championship for the first time in a six-pack challenge. Stratus's first reign was very short-lived, but she wound up chasing the title shortly after. And while chasing after the women's title, Stratus won the WWE Hardcore Championship on May 6th, pinning Crash Holly after Bubba Ray Dudley hit him over the head with a trash can. Shortly after, she regained the women's championship in a tag match with Bubba Ray Dudley. Another short reign for Stratus, in which it came to an end on June 23rd. But then, shortly after, once again, Stratus won back the title for a third time. That catapulted her into her infamous feud with the brand new debuting Victoria. She held a storyline grudge against Stratus, claiming she was betrayed by Stratus when they worked as fitness models. The two competed in several title matches with Stratus retaining until Survivor Series where Victoria won the championship in a hardcore match. Then at WrestleMania 19, Trish defeated Victoria and then healed Jazz to capture her fourth women's championship, equaling the record previously set by the fabulous Moolah. Then, leading into 2003 into 2004, Stratus began a romance with Chris Jericho that would bring us to WrestleMania 20, where Stratus became a heel once again, and for the first time since her debut, by betraying Jericho and siding with Christian. She then broke the record and won the Women's Championship for a fifth time at Bad Blood on June 13th of that year. She continued to defend the title against numerous challengers before losing the championship to Lita in December of that year, when both women wrestled in the main event of Raw for the championship, quite possibly the highlight of Stratus's wrestling career. For the very first time in modern-day history of Monday Night Raw, a women's match would close the show in the main event of Monday Night Raw, and what a match it was. Stratus recaptured the gold a month later at New Year's Revolution after Lita suffered a legitimate injury during the match. Another famous challenger came on the horizon known as Mickey James. Very similar to the Victoria gimmick, Mickey James was a psychotic challenger. This time, she was a crazed fan of Trish's. They had an odd relationship, which continued into 2006. This led to their feud culminating in a match at WrestleMania 22, in which saw Stratus lose the title to Mickey James. Trish's last match on Raw occurred on September 11, 2006, where she defeated Mickey James as well. In late August, Lita stated that Trish would retire following Unforgiven, which was later confirmed by Trish herself. Then, at the pay-per-view Unforgiven on September 17th, in her hometown of Toronto, Stratus won the title against Lita with fellow Canadian Bret Hart's signature submission maneuver, the Sharpshooter. Trish retired, 
as women's champion, an unprecedented achievement, male or female, in this industry. Following her retirement, she made some part-time appearances and actually became a host-slash-judge of WWE's Tough Enough series. Then in 2011, she made a surprise appearance at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view event to announce that she would be a trainer on the revival of Tough Enough. Then she would go on to WrestleMania 27 and compete once again at the big event, teaming with John Morrison and Snooki to take on the team of Lay Cool and Dolph Ziggler. During her time away from the ring, she opened up Stratosphere, and she is the host and subject of the show Stratosphere, which debuted in 2008 on the Travel and Escape television channels. Her yoga studio, Stratosphere, is billed as Canada's largest eco-friendly yoga studio. No matter what Trish sets her sights at, she is successful. And now, she will be inducted in the 2013 Hall of Fame. She will be the youngest inductee ever to enter the hall. I was able to have the honor to witness her debut in the company, which was monumental looking back at her historic career. Trish, everyone thought was just another pretty face. Yes, maybe just another female manager. Wound up becoming one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. And so deserving an induction in the WWE Hall of Fame. Everyone will remember her two signature maneuvers, the Chick Kick and Stratisfaction. Let's not forget her other setup signature maneuvers, the Air Canada, which is the Thez Press followed by punches, her backhand chops, and who could forget her licking her hand before chopping as well. And she invented the Matrix, the Matrix maneuver. She managed Albert, Kurt Angle, Carlito, Christian, Bubba Ray Dudley, Chris Jericho, Test, Tyson Tomko, Viscera, Val Venus, Jeff Hardy, Triple H, and even Lita. She was known as the quintessential WWE diva. Her accomplishments are off the charts. The Fighting Spirit Magazine's Double X Award in 2006, winning the PWI Woman of the Year in 2002, 2003, 2005, and 2006. Unprecedented and becoming the Woman of the Decade from 2000 to 2009 for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. A seven-time Women's Champion, a one-time Hardcore Champion, Babe of the Year from 2001 to 2003, Diva of the Decade, you name it, she has done it. You can literally close your eyes, and just the minute you hear that first note, you know who's coming out. <laughs> I don't care what y'all say. Oh, it's time to rock and roll. Lil' Kim is just, I mean, I'm a huge fan of hers, and it was just like an honor that she's doing my music. When will you learn? I'm the queen, and I'll put you in your place. It's the kind of music I actually listen to in real life, so it's like the right vibe, so I feel it when I'm out there. The words are really strong because we put the time into it. It really defines my character, you know, the transition I've gone through and the successes I've had so far. Sport All-American in his collegiate days and the 1971 NCAA champion in wrestling, Bob Backlund would turn pro in 1973. His clean-cut look and technical approach made him a hit with fans around the nation. 
Backlund would join the WWE in 1976 and in just two short years found himself at the top of the industry. Backlund's inaugural reign as champion would last nearly six years, a length second only to Bruno Sammartino. He would leave the squared circle in 1984, but return eight years later with a desire to become champion once again. He received a title match against then-champion Bret Hart, but Backlund failed in his quest to capture the title and inevitably snapped, launching a reign of terror on the WWE. You people have changed tremendously and I'm very disappointed in how weak you are. Four months later, Backlund would get another opportunity to face the champ. Backlund's passion to be the best is second to no one. And for that, the WWE is proud to welcome Bob Backlund as a member of the Hall of Fame Class of 2013. Robert Lee Backlund was born August 14th, 1949. And who knew on that day we would see the birth of a wrestling legend. His career spanned over 30 years. He became a two-time WWF slash WWF champion. He holds the record for the second longest reign in WWE Championship history. Backlund was an accomplished amateur wrestler wrestling for the North Dakota State University Bison in the late 1960s and early 1970s. In 1969, during his freshman year, Backlund was an All-American in both football and wrestling. He finished third in the 191 weight class at Waldorf Junior College in Forest City, Iowa. He received All-American honors. Backlund was an amateur wrestler at North Dakota State University, winning the Division II NCAA Championship at 190 pounds in 1971. He graduated from North Dakota State with a degree in physical education. Backlund was trained for professional wrestling by renowned trainer Eddie Sharkey and made his debut for the American Wrestling Association in 1973. His clean-cut look and technical approach made him a natural babyface. He quickly got over with the fan base. He worked for the National Wrestling Alliance in various territories. He also wrestled for Terry Funk's Amarillo promotion. Then, he defeated Terry Funk for the NWA Western States Heavyweight Championship, the promotion's top title. In mid-1975, Backlund started working for Georgia Championship Wrestling. He teamed with Jerry Briscoe to win the NWA Georgia Tag Team Championship. He defeated Harley Race to win the NWA Missouri Heavyweight Championship in 1976. Then early on in 1977, Backlund joined Vincent J. McMahon's Worldwide Wrestling Federation. He was managed by the golden boy, Arnold Scotland, And less than four months later, 
he received his first shot at the WWF Championship against superstar Billy Graham. He lost by countout. And then on February 20th, 1978, at Madison Square Garden, Backlund finally scored a pinfall victory over Graham and won the championship. This was despite Graham's leg being on the rope during the pinfall. Nevertheless, Bob Backlund was the new Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion. Three days later, after winning the championship, Backlund clashed with the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Harley Race in a rare WWF versus NWA title match. Both titles were on the line, but neither changed hands as the two fought to a 60-minute time limit draw. He also faced the AWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Bockwinkle and two NWA World Heavyweight Champions Harley Race four times and Ric Flair once. These were highly publicized matches. He engaged in a series of scientific matches against NWF world champion Antonio Inoki. He defeated the Florida champion Don Morocco, and then in 1982, he battled international champion Billy Robinson to a 63-minute curfew draw in Montreal. On August 9, 1980, Backlund teamed with Pedro Morales to capture the WWF World Tag Team Championship from the Wild Samoans at Showdown at Shea. Bob would have further tag team success when he, alongside Antonio Inoki, won the 1980 MSG Tag Team League Tournament. In 1983, he was voted the Wrestling Observer Newsletter's most overrated wrestler. Vincent K. McMahon, who had bought the WWF from his father, wanted to put the title on the more charismatic and muscular Hulk Hogan. On December 26, 1983, Backlund, recently injured in a TV angle, lost the title to the Iron Sheik. Backlund's manager, Arnold Scullin, threw in the towel while Backlund was locked in the vicious camel clutch. Because Backlund was declared injured, he was denied an automatic rematch. Instead, Hulk Hogan was given a title shot and became the new WWF champion, and history was made. On August 4th of 1984, Backlund defeated Salvatore Balomo in his last WWF match for nearly eight years. He soon dropped out of the pro wrestling scene. Then in 1992, Backlund returned to the World Wrestling Federation. His persona remained the same as it was in his heyday, and it seemed to be out of step with the evolution of the WWF at the time. At the 1993 Royal Rumble, he lasted 61 minutes and 10 seconds a duration record that would not be broken until 2004. Backlund's first appearance at a WrestleMania event was at WrestleMania 9 in a losing effort in a match with Razor Ramon. On July 28th of 1994, on an episode of Superstars, Backlund wrestled what was billed as an old-generation versus new-generation match with Bret the Hitman Hart. This was with Hart's WWF Championship on the line. Backlund was finally able to receive a rematch for the championship he lost to the Iron Sheik. Bret Hart retained the title and won the match, capitalizing after Backlund mistakenly believed he had won and helped Hart to his feet. Backlund thought he was champion and was doing the noble thing. Backlund snapped after Hart repeatedly tried to offer a sportsmanlike handshake following the contest. Hart was slapped in the face, and he locked him in the cross-face chicken wing submission hold. He was screaming hysterically, a new side of Bob Backlund was being seen. Backlund stared at his hands in apparent shock. This wound up being the future gimmick 
For now, Mr. Bob Backlund. He started to regularly snap in similar fashion during his matches. He attacked his opponents viciously with the cross-faced chicken wing and refused to release it after his opponent submitted. He would snap back to normal and then appear horrified by what he had done. Supposedly, the schizophrenic, multiple personality Bob Backlund was now a part of the new generation in the World Wrestling Federation. On an episode of Monday Night Raw, shortly after his match with the Hitman, Backlund claimed that he should still be considered the legitimate WWF champion. He stated that he had not been pinned by the Iron Cheek, nor submitted to the Camel Clutch. He wanted to teach the new generation a lesson. He dressed in business suits, had a hyperactive personality, and used large words. He opened up his dictionary and thesaurus to try to sound superior and to have the ultimate intelligence in the WWF. He now demanded that he would be addressed as Mr. Backland. He even went to the extent of only signing autographs for fans if they could recite the names of all the U.S. presidents in chronological order. It seemed as if the former world champion had officially snapped and now was this crazy lunatic in search of reclaiming his gold. On November 23rd of 1994, at the Survivor Series pay-per-view in San Antonio, Texas, Backlund faced Bret Hart in a throw-in-the-towel submission match for the WWF Championship. Bret's brother, Owen, was in Backlund's corner. At the end of the match, it wound up Helen Hart threw in the towel for the hitman, giving the 35-minute match and the WWF Championship to Bob Backlund. Backlund was now a two-time World Wrestling Federation champion. It would be short-lived, though, as he lost the title three days later to Big Daddy Cool Diesel at a non-televised show in Madison Square Garden. I was lucky enough to witness this firsthand in the first row in Madison Square Garden. We thought it would be a regular ho-hum match. Maybe Diesel would win via disqualification. Backlund just became champion. At the time, I did like Bob Backlund's character. This crazy, schizophrenic, snap figure of Bob Backlund was working. I think it clicked with the fans in a certain extent. It made him cool in a psycho sort of way with the new generation fans. But with the big boot, powerbomb, jackknife powerbomb, and less than 20 seconds later, we had a brand new WWF champion. The crowd went crazy. I had goosebumps. You had a feeling maybe this was similar to maybe Hulkamania being born in the garden. Not quite as impactful, you could say, and didn't make that big of a stamp in pro wrestling history, maybe for the career of Kevin Nash, which propelled him to New World Order status, but it worked at the time. It got the new guy, the new big daddy cool hip, new generation star Diesel over, and Bob Backlund sold it like a champ. It was the shortest WWF title match ever. He basically kicked Backlund in the stomach, hit him with the jackknife powerbomb, and then eight seconds later was the new WWF champion. I remember watching Backlund going back down the aisle after he lost. He was crawling up the aisleway, back to the dressing room in the garden, putting over the effectiveness of the powerbomb. He made it work. He was so entertaining. That's what I remember about the match, how entertaining Bob Backlund was. This was the last time the WWF Championship changed hands at a non-televised event. 
One of his final WWF matches was an I Quit match against Bret Hart at WrestleMania 11 on April 2nd of 1995. He lost, though he never actually said I quit, he just instead screamed on the microphone. Following Mania, the WWF ran an angle in which Backlund declared his candidacy for the presidency of the United States. This angle was quickly dropped before it reached a conclusion. From late 96 to 97, Backlund joined forces with his old nemesis, the Iron Sheik, to manage the Sultan. He left the organization and then returned in the 2000 edition of the Royal Rumble. He briefly managed Intercontinental and European Champion Kurt Angle, but the pairing wasn't for long. Again, Backlund dropped off the wrestling scene. Then he reappeared in 2007, judging the finals of the Paparazzi Championship Series in Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. This was between Alex Shelley and then Austin Starr, now known as Austin Aries. Given the tie-breaking vote, Backlund launched a long explanation before declaring his decision a draw. His appearance sparked some interest with fans and management in TNA. Thus, Backlund began making regular appearances on TNA Impact. It was somewhat similar to the Mr. Backlund gimmick of his second WWF tenure. Backlund made his in-ring return at Slammiversary, defeating Alex Shelley. What was, you could say, notable about this run was him walking the grounds of Universal Studios, picking up trash, telling people, you know, to walk straight, sit up straight, eat properly, to know the President of the United States, shouting out his long-winded words of wisdom. It was funny. It made for some entertaining clips, which I suggest you going back to watch if you didn't watch Impact at that time. It was entertaining to watch Backlund walk the halls or walk the floors or walk the park of Universal Studios. Backlund made his in-ring return at Slammiversary, defeating Alex Shelley. Then again, Backlund was away from the wrestling scene. He did participate on the 15th anniversary episode of Raw in 2007, as he was a part of the Battle Royal, along with 14 other wrestlers from Raw's 15-year history. Backlund was eliminated from the match by Skinner. Then, on July 9th in 2012, on an episode of Monday Night Raw, Backlund attacked Heath Slater after Slater's match with Sin Cara as part of a weekly series of legend appearances, leading up to the 1000th edition of Monday Night Raw, in which he did appear as well. Bob Backlund's career is absolutely a Hall of Fame one. The impact that he has made in this industry is undeniable. Whether it was in the ring or in politics, Bob Backlund definitely made a mark wherever he went. In 2000, he unsuccessfully ran for a Congress seat in Connecticut. He later operated a bail bond company in Connecticut as well. No matter what he does, Bob Backlund gives it his all. From the atomic knee drop, the spine crusher, and the half-Nelson bridging cradle, Bob Backlund showed his technical prowess in the ring. But most notably, everyone will know him for the cross-faced chicken wing. He won match of the year in 1978 from PWI against Billy Graham on February 20th of that year. Also, 1982 match of the year with Jimmy Snuka. He was the most hated wrestler of the year in 1994. People were inspired by Bob Backlund as he won Inspirational Wrestler of the Year in 77 and 81. Winning Rookie of the Year was a huge thing for him from PWI in 1976. Then winning the accolades of Wrestler of the Year in 1980 and 82. 
PWI ranked them number 7th of the 500 best singles wrestlers of the PWI years in 2003. He was a part of the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame and Museum of the Modern Era Class of 2008. His championship accolades cannot be denied. Championship Wrestling from Florida Tag Team Championship. Georgia Championship Wrestling Tag Team Title. The Western State Sports Heavyweight Championship. And the Northeast Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Title. Then, of course, in the WWF, becoming a Tag Team Champion. Two-time World Champion being known as the best technical wrestler by the Wrestling Observer in 1980, match of the year with Ken Patera in 1980, Bob Backlund has done it all. Maybe the newer fan or the modern-day fan may know him of the crazy, psychopathic, schizophrenic Mr. Backlund character, which I love because it showed the other element of his character and personality. But no one can deny having the second-longest title reign in WWF history is monumental, and no one will ever forget the achievements that Bob Backlund has made to the world of professional wrestling. Anyone display Bob Backlund, there must be an explanation. You owe Arnold Scullin an apology. Maybe I should apologize. Maybe I should apologize. Well, that's more like the Bob Backlund of old. That's more like the all-American boy. If finally you have seen the light, if you're going to apologize, go ahead. It's not maybe. Yes, I should apologize. I should apologize to yours truly. I should apologize to all these millions of people right here. I should apologize to Mr. Tunney, the president of the... And to everybody involved in professional wrestling. Forever ascertaining Arnold Scullin as my manager. From the day I chose him as my manager, it was all downhill. Wait a minute. You're not apologizing. You're not apologizing for what you did, Donald Scullin. I apologize for choosing him. There was many managers, many managers that, that wouldn't have thrown in the towel. The best day, the best day of my life was on July 3rd, 1994, because I realized that all you plebeians can't get with it. You don't have enough, you don't have enough courage. You won't pay the price to be successful. You're doomed, you're doomed for to down, you're down in life. I, I did more to try to boon your life than any athlete in the world. I sponsored kids tournaments to try to help your children. That was then. That was the Bob Backlund of old. I never have ever eaten marijuana. I have never swore in front of my children. How many times, ladies and gentlemen, do you swear in front of your children? How many chemicals do you have in your cabinet at home? How many drugs do you have in your billfold? And why do you expect your children not to take drugs and not to smoke cigarettes and not swear when they're in school. You should be taking care of your children. I know where my child is at night. And she's definitely not out there with a gun. All right, Bob Backen, what does this have to do? What does this have to do with a cross-faced chicken wing to hold for which there is no defense, right? Well, what does this have to do with that? 
It has to do with discipline. It has to do with pride. And it has to do with determination. I'm proud of the chicken wing. And I'll retire if anybody can get out of it. And if any of these people in the Green Mountain State think they can get out of it, I'd be happy. Happy to put it on them. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look at that fat guy up there. He's a Pavlian. You're challenging. You're challenging. You're challenging a fan to come down to see if they can escape from the cross-face chicken wing. He's not going to come down here. He's brave up there. I know these people like the back of my hand. He was born Mick Foley on Long Island, New York. Tell me about yourself. Let me tell you something, Dan. I don't think there's really any need to go into my credentials. If you soldier on, head strong to the strong, I'll be here waiting on your other side. Francis Foley was born on June 7th, 1965. Most know him under the moniker of the Three Faces of Foley. Dude Love, Cactus Jack, and Mankind. Mick was born in Bloomington, Indiana. Shortly after, his family moved to East Setauket, New York. While being a student at State University of New York at Cortland, he hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden to see his favorite wrestler, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, participate in a steel cage match against Don the Magnificent Morocco. He noted that Snooker's flying body splash from the top of the cage inspired him to pursue a career in professional wrestling. Foley had a front row seat and is visible on the video of this match. 
Mick had a front row seat and is visible on the video of the event from this monumental match. Thus, Mick started his career as a professional wrestler. He was formally trained at Dominic DiNucci's wrestling school in Freedom, Pennsylvania. He drove several hours weekly from his college campus in Cortland, and he debuted in 1983. Mick and several other students also took part in some squash matches for WWF TV tapings. He wrestled there under the name Jack Foley. In one of the matches, Foley and Les Thornton faced the British Bulldogs, during which the Dynamite Kid clotheslined Foley with such force he was unable to eat solid food for several weeks. That was Foley's introduction to the World Wrestling Federation. Then, after several years wrestling on the independent circuit, Mick began receiving offers from various regional promotions, including the UWF. He joined the Memphis, Tennessee-based CWA as Cactus Jack, where he teamed with Gary Young as part of the Stud Stable. On November 20th, Foley left the CWA for the Texas-based World Class Championship Wrestling. In World Class, Cactus Jack, billed as Cactus Jack Manson, was a major part of Skandar Akbar Stable. Mick also won several titles, including the company's light heavyweight and tag team titles before leaving the company. Can you picture Mick Foley winning a light heavyweight title? It was during this period that Mick was involved in a car accident that resulted in the loss of his two front teeth, adding to the distinctive look for which he is now famous for, of course. Following a very, very brief stint in WCW, Mick then signed with Herb Abrams' Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF. Foley teamed with Bob Orton to feud with Don Morocco, Sonny Beach, and Brian Blair. He soon left for Tri-State Wrestling, which was a forerunner to Extreme Championship Wrestling. One of the most popular feuds Mick had at the time was with Eddie Gilbert. They had three matches in one night in 1991. These matches caught the attention of World Championship Wrestling promoters, and after a brief stint working in the Global Wrestling Federation, he joined WCW. On September 5th of 91, Cactus debuted as a heel and attacked Sting. Right away, Mick was pushed into a feud with WCW's top performer. Cactus Jack faced Sting, who was then WCW champion in a non-title Falls Count Anywhere match at Beach Blast 92, in which Sting won. For a very long time, Mick said this, he, well, he considered this match to be the best match he had ever participated in. Cactus Jack wrestled Vader on April 6, 1993, winning by countout, being severely beaten in the match. As a result from this, the rematch with Vader was on April 23rd. The two executed a dangerous spot to sell a storyline injury. Vader removed the protective mats at ringside and powerbombed Mick onto the exposed concrete floor, causing a legitimate concussion and causing Foley to temporarily lose sensation in his left foot in all actuality. I remember this firsthand. This is one of the very few definitive moments in WCW history that played a role for me as a fan to want to watch more of WCW. This was one of the moments that stuck in my mind as separating WCW from the World Wrestling Federation at this point. This was hardcore. This made a mark in my mind. Watching on TV, watching a man being powerbombed onto a concrete floor. 
and so impressionable being a fan. Then, WCW ran an angle where Cactus, his absence was explained with a comedic storyline, in a sense, in which he went crazy. He was even institutionalized. He escaped and then developed amnesia. Everyone, if you're a Mick Foley fan, everyone remembers the comedic vignettes that WSW produced, which were so bad, they were, you know, searching for Foley, you know, searching for Cactus Jack. In one of WSW's most brutal matches of all time, Cactus faced Vader in a Texas death match at Halloween Havoc. There were cattle prods used. The level of violence in this feud even caused WSW to refuse to book Cactus against Vader ever, ever again on pay-per-view. Then on March 16th of 1994, during a WSW European tour, Foley and Vader had one of the most infamous matches in wrestling history, which took place in Munich, Germany. Mick Foley wound up getting tied into the top into the top two ropes. You typically would see him do this spot in matches. And as Foley struggled to pull himself out, he got caught around his neck and was hanging there from the top and middle ropes, being strangled. As he tried to pull himself out, he tore off two-thirds of his ear and underwent surgery later that day to reattach the cartilage from the ear to his head. And as a result, the half-eared Mick Foley was born. Later that year, Cactus and Kevin Sullivan were scheduled to win the tag team titles at Slamboree. At that point, Foley had to choose between reattaching his ear or wrestling on pay-per-view and winning the tag team titles. So, what do you think? Foley chose to wrestle, therefore cementing his gimmick even more so as the future mankind. WSW also shared a brief co-promotion at the time with ECW. This was when Foley represented WSW on ECW television as the WSW Tag Team Champion. During an infamous promo, Foley spat on his tag team title belt and threw it to the ground to appeal to the hardcore fans who frowned upon the mainstream promotions of WCW and the WWF. Of course, this resulted to Cactus Jack being dismissed from World Championship Wrestling, and after leaving WCW, Foley went on to the newly formed Extreme Championship Wrestling. He immediately began a feud with Sabu. Then, Jack began working with the ECW Tag Team Division on teams with Terry Funk, Mikey Whipbreck, and Kevin Sullivan. He had two ECW World, Team Ta- World Tag Team Championship reigns with Whipwreck in ECW. At the tail end of 94, Foley joined Smoky Mountain Wrestling as Cactus Jack, causing Boo Bradley to lose the TV title. Then in 95, after a brief stint in returning to Japan, he became once again a member of the ECW roster as he returned back to the Philadelphia-based promotion. He returned to feud with the Sandman. Funk returned to team up with Sandman, and during a particularly violent spot, you could say, the pair hit Cactus with a Singapore cane nearly 46 times. Foley also teamed with Tommy Dreamer, as Cactus began a gimmick where he criticized hardcore wrestling and sought to renounce his status as a hardcore wrestling icon. Foley went heel on the ECW fans. At one point, Cactus served as one of Raven's henchmen in his Raven's Nest group. Cactus even defeated the previously undefeated 9-1-1. Foley's last ECW match was against Whipwreck on March 9th of 1996, and he recounts that he was not looking forward to it due to the 
highly increased hostile reactions he even he received from the ECW fan base. Even when he wasn't even character in the building, fans hated Foley at this time. The ECW fan base knew that this was Foley's last match, finally returning his affection, and the fans actually chant, please don't go. Foley went on to side with the World Wrestling Federation. Vignettes started to debut on WWF television, debuting a new character known as Mankind. The mentally deranged and schizophrenic superstar constantly squealed. He shrieked, Mommy! Spoke to a rat named George. He enjoyed pain, physically abused himself. He wore a leather mask. When I first saw the debut vignette of Mankind, I noticed that voice. That voice sounded familiar. This was before, of course, the internet, before you could say I would be a smart mark, what have you. I knew Mick Foley left ECW, but I wasn't sure where he was going. I didn't know he signed with the WWF at the time. You know, I was, right before I was even a teenager, this was all happening. I think I was maybe about, well, I can say 14 years old, yeah. Just right in the teenage years. But I didn't know of where Mick was going to go to until this vignette aired. That voice sounded familiar, I said. Is that Cactus Jack? He lived in boiler rooms. As a result, it became his specialty match, the Boiler Room Brawl. Mick Foley was now a part of the World Wrestling Federation known as Mankind. He debuted the day after WrestleMania 12, quickly moving into a feud with the Phenom The Undertaker. They were booked in the very first ever Boiler Room Brawl. As we mentioned on a previous edition of Beyond the Bell, most recently remembering the late Paul Bearer, we actually saw Paul turn on The Undertaker and join sides with Mankind. For the very first time, Paul was now a heel against The Undertaker. Mankind then earned the number one contendership to face the then WWF champion Shawn Michaels at In Your House Mind Games. It was known as one of the greatest matches at the time in WWF history. The Mankind Undertaker feud continued with the first ever Buried Alive match at In Your House Buried Alive. The Undertaker buried Mankind, but Paul Bearer, Terry Gordy, Mankind, and other heels attacked The Undertaker and then buried him alive. One of the most famous moments in Mankind's early career in the WWF was when Jim Ross had a scheduled interview with the former Cactus Jack. He conducted a series of interviews with Mankind, and during those spots, Ross brought up the topic of Foley's home videos and the hippie-inspired character he played in those known as Do Love. Foley wound up turning on Jim Ross, giving him the signature maneuver, the mandible claw. The two fingers inserted under the tongue, applying pressure, causing your opponent to submit. Once fans started to know of this do-love character, it started to partake more and more in the Mankind persona. At one point, Foley debuted as do-love, who suddenly helped Austin take the victory in a tag team contest with the tag team champions, and they wound up becoming the brand new tag team champions themselves. One of Foley's most memorable vignettes aired before the match with Hunter Hearst Helmsley at Madison Square Garden. I was there live to watch this. This was history in the making. You sensed it. This was when Dude Love and Mankind discussed who should wrestle the upcoming match against Triple H. Eventually, they decided that it should be Cactus Jack, Foley's old character from 
WCW, and ECW. It wound up, it was great video production that all three superstars were on the video at the same time, all being played by Mick Foley. And this was the WWF debut of Cactus Jack. On April 6, 1998, Foley turned heel when Cactus Jack explained the fans would not see him anymore because they did not appreciate him and only cared about Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was when prior at WrestleMania 14, he and fellow hardcore legend and his mentor Terry Funk, known as Chainsaw Charlie, teamed up to take on the New Age Outlaws. They had an infamous feud which revolved around a dumpster. The dumpster match was born and one of the most famous spots in WWF history was on Monday Night Raw when the Outlaws pushed Chainsaw Charlie, Terry Funk, and Cactus Jack who were in a dumpster off of the raw rampway onto the concrete floor. This was a highly popular skit or stunt, you could say, that put the WF ahead once again that propelled them, you could say, in the ratings war against WCW. That leads us to the hell in a cell in 1998. At King of the Ring, The Undertaker and Mankind battled in the third ever Hell in a Cell match. In one of the most famous matches in pro wrestling history, Foley received numerous injuries and took two dangerous and highly influential bumps. The first one came as both wrestlers were brawling on the top of the cell, and the Undertaker threw Mankind from a height of 16 feet and sent him crashing through the Spanish announcer's table. I remember my dad screaming, Oh, he's dead, they killed him. And the same remarks were being screamed out by good old JR. Then... Mankind actually got back up from that spot, and when both men were back on top of the cell, the Undertaker chokeslammed Mankind through the top of the cage, through onto the mat. Unbelievable. Foley was genuinely knocked unconscious for a few moments, for a few moments at least, from the impact, but he was able to come around and he actually continued the match. Although he lost, both wrestlers received a standing ovation for the match. The event is often said to have jump-started Foley's main event career in the World Wrestling Federation. Foley decided that crowds might respond better if Mankind were more of a comedy character. So, he became less of a tortured soul and more of a goofy, broken-down, you could say, Hardcore oaf, in a sense, some say. Foley began an angle with Vince McMahon, with Mankind trying to be a friend or befriend the hated Mr. McMahon. At one point, Mankind unveiled a sock puppet named Mr. Socko, intended to be a one-time joke. Socko became an overnight sensation and became a popular gimmick for the new Mankind character. Trading in his brown outfit with that dingy leather mask. He kept the mask, but instead wanted a quote-unquote corporate look. As a result, a ripped dress shirt and tie wore the new attire for Mankind. Mick was a part of the second, you could say, quote-unquote screw job at the Survivor Series when The Rock placed Mankind in a sharpshooter in the World Championship Tournament to propel The Rock to become the WWF Champion, turning his back on Mankind. From there, Mankind officially transitioned into a babyface and fan favorite. Everyone loved now the new Mick Foley Mankind. Then, on December 29th, Mick Foley had one of the 
biggest nights, if not the biggest night in his active professional wrestling career. This is where he defeated The Rock to win his first ever WWF Championship. Some say this propelled, even more so, the one signature moment that propelled the WWE over WCW in the Monday Night Ratings War. This was as WCW announcer Tony Schiavone revealed the ending of the Mankind Rock match before it even aired. Of course, because it was pre-taped, we all knew, or some knew, of the results of the match. And the quote of putting a lot of butts in the seats backfired for WSW by Shivani, as the Nielsen ratings show that Raw won the ratings battle the night as they wanted to see Mick win the WWF title. He lost the title, though, to The Rock in an I Quit match at the Raw Rumble the following month. This match was popularized in the documentary known as Beyond the Mat. Later on, The Rock and Mick Foley teamed up to form the Rock and Sock Connection. The pair won the tag team titles on three occasions. One of the most popular segments ever. It's known as the highest rated segments on Raw involved This Is Your Life for The Rock, hosted by Mick Foley, which was, of course, a series of characters showing on screen that were a part of The Rock's life previously. This was the number one rated segment in Raw history. A major feud developed between Mankind and the McMahon-Helmsley regime at a certain point in the latter portion of 99, which led to Mankind's reverting back to his Cactus Jack persona and facing Triple H for the WWF Championship at the Royal Rumble in a street fight. I was there firsthand. What a match it was. You could feel the tension. You could felt the intensity from Mick Foley that night. You knew something was up. You knew Foley wanted to make a mark in this match. And it would to be known that Foley was planning on retiring from professional wrestling shortly after. The feud culminated with a rematch at No Way Out in a Hell in a Cell confrontation. The stipulations were that if Cactus didn't win the title, he would retire from professional wrestling. Triple H won after throwing Foley over him onto the cage, through the cage as it gave away, and he went straight through the mat this time. But as well, as being a little different than the King of the Ring Hell in a Cell match, this time the ring was gimmicked to prevent further injury to Mick. Nevertheless, what a spot, and Mick Foley's career at that point was officially over. He left for a few weeks, but then returned at the request of Linda McMahon to wrestle for the championship at WrestleMania 2000 against Triple H, The Rock, and The Big Show. Foley served as storyline WWF commissioner under his real name, Mick Foley, rather than one of his personas. So Mick was now officially retired from professional wrestling after he participated in that WrestleMania 2000 fatal four-way match in which he didn't win, but it was a great sign-off for Mick Foley. Then in November of 2001, he ended his commissionership at Vince McMahon's request and left the company. He had sporadic appearances from 2003 to 2008 in which he competed in the Royal Rumble in 2004, shockingly. He reunited with The Rock to form the Rock and Sock Connection in a handicap match against Evolution at WrestleMania 20, which again, me being there firsthand, being able to watch what we thought at the time was the Rock's last WrestleMania match was something in itself. He appeared as color commentator at, e- at the WWE's version of ECW One Night Stand, which aired on June 12th of 2005. 
Foley then engaged in a storyline rivalry with Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, which was inspired by a real-life animosity between the two, from his book Have a Nice Day and Flair's autobiography, giving pot shots at one another. From this feud, it resulted in a two-out-of-three falls match at Vengeance, where Flair beat Foley in two straight falls. It was a great match, a great rivalry, a great, great rivalry between the two. The two then wrestled in an I Quit match at SummerSlam, which was even better than the first match. Then, after joining the Kiss My Ass Club, which was hosted by Mr. McMahon, Foley debuted as a color commentator for SmackDown alongside Michael Cole at Backlash in 2008. As me being a wrestling fan, listening to Foley on commentary, I thought it would be a good fit, a perfect role for Foley at the time. It didn't last very long, as Foley allowed his contract with WWE to expire on September 1st of 2008, and he quietly left the company, stating that becoming a commentator, hearing Vince yell in your ear, wasn't too enticing for him. On September 18th of 2008, on an edition of TNA Impact, Mick Foley made his very first television appearance for Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. Foley announced that he was now co-owner of TNA along with Jeff Jarrett. On April 19th, 2009, at lockdown, Mick Foley defeated Sting to win the TNA World Heavyweight Championship for his first ever championship in TNA. On July 30th of 2009, the 200th episode of Impact featured Foley winning the TNA Legends Championship by pinning Kevin Nash in a tag team match where Nash teamed with Angle and Foley with Bobby Lashley. From the rest of 2009 to 2010, he had storylines with Abyss and Eric, Eric Bischoff. Then in 2010, there was an emergence of ECW in TNA as they formed EV 2.0. Mick Foley was involved somewhat in the storyline. And one of Foley's last moments or last storyline efforts in TNA was when he was revealed as the network consultant for quote-unquote Spike TV on a May 12th edition of TNA Impact. Then, on the following edition of Impact on June 2nd, Hogan announced that Foley had been fired as the network executive. This was done to write off Foley, who had asked for his release from TNA, and he was off of television. Then, on November 2nd, 2011, McFoley returned to the WWE. He reprised the This Is Your Life segment, this time for John Cena, in preparation for his match against The Rock at WrestleMania 28. And then, most recently, McFoley was named the general manager of the Saturday morning show for WWE, known as Saturday Morning Slam. McFoley continues to work for the WWE, making his special appearances, and he will be inducted this weekend into the WWE Hall of Fame. What can you say about Mick Foley and his career? Stellar. From being a multi-time New York Times best-selling author, he has done it all. Foley was really the first superstar to write his autobiography without the aid of a ghostwriter. Almost 800 pages of longhand. Have a nice day, a tale of blood and sweat socks. Started it all. Foley is good was his next title. Countdown to Lockdown, The Hardcore Diaries. A miserable Christmas, you name it. From autobiographies to children's books, Foley has done it all. I even read the book Tatum Brown, his signature moves. The Double Underhook DDT, The Mandible Claw. The Stump Puller Pile Driver, where he just grabs the tights and just pile drives his opponent. What about his Cactus Clothesline? His Cactus Elbow? 
the Ronnie Knee Lift, everyone knows, of Mick Foley. He was managed by the Grand Lizard of Wrestling. Brian Hildebrand, Paul Bearer, Downtown Bruno, Ron Fuller, Kevin Sullivan. Known as the hardcore legend, Mrs. Foley's baby boy, he has made such an indelible mark in professional wrestling history. As we wrap up his career, let's just go over his championship accomplishments. CWA Tag Team Champion. ECW Tag Team Champion two times. Mid-South Wrestling North American Champion. He won the Frank Gotch Award in 2010. The IWA World Tag Team Championship. King of the Deathmatch in 1995. NAW Heavyweight Champion. NWL Heavyweight Champion. Of course, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, well-documented Match of the Year in 1998 with The Undertaker in The Hell in a Cell at King of the Ring. Match of the Year in 99 with The Rock, the I Quit match at the Royal Rumble. Most Inspirational Wrestler of the Year in 1993. He was ranked 19th in 99, ranked 46th in 2003. He won Steel City Wrestling's Tag Team Championship with the Blue Meanie. In TNA, he was a Legends Champion, World Champion, and in WCW, a WCW Tag Team Champion with Kevin Sullivan. In World Class, he was USWA World Tag Team Champion, WCWA World Light Heavyweight Champion, then WCWA World Tag Team Champion two times. Then, in the World Wrestling Federation, slash WWE, shall we say. He was a three-time WWF champion, a hardcore champion, the very first. An eight-time tag team champion. A Slammy Award winner in 1997. And then, of course, now a part of the WWE Hall of Fame. He was placed in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame in 2000. Mick Foley, what else can you say? Mick Foley has done it all. So deserving. He can actually be a headliner on any Hall of Fame class. I think Mick Foley initially was brought on to be the headliner. They weren't sure if they were they were going to get Bruno this year. So really, you have two headliners in one. What a class in general. These superstars make up an extraordinary, if not one of the greatest, like I said, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest Hall of Fame class ever. And Mick Foley is a part of that. So as we conclude part one of our WWE Hall of Fame special edition, we here at the SNS Radio Network, those listening right now backstage, would like to thank Mick Foley for everything he has done in professional wrestling. You are so deserving of this honor, and we thank you for the memories. Bang, bang! More than anyone else in that ECW dressing room, Tommy Dreamer, Maybe more than anybody else in the wrestling industry, you are willing to pay the price to sweat, to bleed, to suffer. You're willing to bear that cross. And I say, Tommy, don't do it. Because you see, in order to sacrifice and bear that cross for them, It means I've got to suffer too, and I'm telling you from the voice of experience that they're not worth it, Tommy. They're not worth it! You see, you've got the choice, not me! 
<laughs> I made my bed of nails, and now I've got no other choice but to be power-bombed on it. But you see, Tommy, the world is smiling at you. The wrestling business is smiling at you. And don't you frown back on it! I'm going to take you back to a very deciding point in my life. A time when I believed in something. A time when I thought that my face and my name meant a difference. Do you remember the night, Tommy Dreamer? Because it's embedded in my skull. It's embedded in my heart. And it's embedded in every nightmare that I will ever have again. As Terry Funk took a bottle and began slicing and dicing Cactus Jack. The pain was so much, Tommy, that I'll be honest with you, I wanted to say, I quit Terry Funk, I give. I waved the flag and I'm a coward. Please don't cut me anymore. When I saw my saving grace, you see, Tommy, I looked out into that audience, my adoring crowd, and I saw two simple words that changed my life. Cain Dewey. Somebody had taken the time and the effort and the thought to make a sign that said Cain Dewey. And I saw other people around as every moment in my life stopped and focused in on that sign. And the pain that shot through my bigotti became a distant memory. Replaced by the pain that will be embedded in my skull till my dying day. Cain Dewey. Cain Dewey. Dewey Foley is a three-year-old boy. You sick sons of bitches! You ripped out my heart! You took everything I believed in and you flushed it down the damn toilet! You flushed my heart! You flushed my soul! And now it sickens me to sit back and see other people making the same mistake! You see, Tommy Driver, I gotta listen to my little boy! Every day of my life, say, Daddy, I miss Atlanta, I say it's too bad, son, because your dad traded in the Victorian house for a sweat box in Long Island. Your dad traded in a hundred thousand dollar contract, guaranteed money, insurance, respect, and the name on the dotted line of the greatest man in the world to work for a scumbag who operates out of a little pissant pawn shop in Philadelphia. You don't expect me to be bitter. Tommy, when you open up your heart, when you open up your soul, and it gets on, it tends to make Jack a very mean boy. And so I'm saying to you, before I take these aggressions out on you to look at your future and realize that the hardcore life is a lie, that these letters behind me 
are a blatant lie that those fans who sit there and say, he's hardcore, he's hardcore, he's hardcore, wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire, you selfish son of a bitch. But I want you to understand, Tommy, and though he's hurt you time and time again deep in his heart, Raven wants you to understand that the hatred I have in here is not for you. No, no, far removed. You see, Tommy, I'm not doing this because I hate you. I love you, man. I only want the best for you, but when I hear that WCW called up your number and you say no, thank you! Well, it makes my blood run cold. As cold as that night in the ECW arena. And so I have got a moral obligation. You see, Tommy, I'm on the path of righteousness. And righteous men wield a lot of power. So if I've got to drag you by your face to that telephone call and dial collect and say hello Eric it's me Cactus and though I know I've burnt my bridge and I'll never be taken back with open arms I've got a wrestler here who will gladly trade in his ECW shirt for a pair of green suspenders and Tommy just think of that sound in your ear when Uncle Eric says Welcome home, Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> I love being right. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. WrestleManiacs, it's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. They help bring your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast to you each and every week. Barber Shop Window, the place that makes wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Yes, you could wear a wrestling t-shirt out in public. They release brand new shirts every single week. Brand new designs, you name it, they carry it. They are hip, they are cool, no joke. We're talking WrestleMania season, and of course the stars of WrestleMania, past, present, and quite possibly future, are represented as well at Barbershop Window. One of my personal favorite designs is the Big Boss Man t-shirt, who of course would not want to wear a t-shirt that looks like the Big Boss Man's baby blue shirt. Gotta love it. Not to mention, you can get the Akeem t-shirt. You can make the Twin Towers at Barbershop Window. Follow them at B-Shop Window on Twitter and go to BarbershopWindow.com now and make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. SNSRadioNetwork.com Your home for everything related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, video gaming, and sci-fi. Get all the latest news and listen to innovative audio released daily. The network is anchored by the two flagship shows, Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown. They cover every pay-per-view. The talented hosts of SNS Radio Network cover it all. So go to SNSRadioNetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Ringannouncing.com, your home for WrestleMania Month here at Beyond the Bell. It's the home of the future 
of ring announcing Sean Beckerman. You can watch the latest videos and demo reels of ring announcer Sean Beckerman on the independent wrestling scene. Go now to ringannouncing.com and celebrate 29 years of WrestleMania during WrestleMania month at Beyond the Bell. Combat Zone Wrestling on DVD. The ultra-violent wrestling promotion can be seen on your TV or on your computer, smartphone, or tablet. You can purchase all CZW ultra-violent events. Stream them live straight on your desktop computer at czwrestling.com. Get ready to get ultra-violent with CZW. The NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. Tried, tested, honored, and of course, revered. You can catch the NWA nationwide through multiple affiliates from coast to coast. Check out the Talk NWA podcast. The NWA, history, tradition, and respect. Go to nwawrestling.org now. Preserving tradition and blazing new paths. Squared Circle Media, Jerome Willem brings you a forum for the fans. SquaredCircleMedia.net gives wrestling fans a voice. You can post your opinions and thoughts on what's happening today in the world of wrestling. Join the conversation at Pro Wrestling Ringside on Blogspot. Share your opinions now. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell via Twitter and tout at Sean Beckerman. Become a fan of Beyond the Bell on Facebook under the BTB fan page. All audio and video clips can be seen under the YouTube channel Ring Announcing for Beyond the Bell. You can download all of the archive shows at ringannouncing.com as well as snsradionetwork.com. You smartphone users, download all archive shows directly via iTunes, the Stitcher app, and TuneIn Radio. You can catch new episodes of Beyond the Bell every Monday night, each and every week. Like the SNS Radio Network, if you're not listening, you're not trying. Want to become a sponsor of Beyond the Bell? Contact us at btbwrestling at gmail.com or beckerman at ringannouncing.com. Put under the title, Advertising. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution now as we go back to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. Classic, old school, you name it, it's Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Old school wrestling fans, what can you say about these three Hall of Fame careers? Trish Stratus, one of the, if not the greatest diva ever to step foot inside the squared circle. Mr. Bob Backlund, a five-year-long world championship title reign. His career was stellar. And in the modern day era, the new generation of the World Wrestling Federation, Bob Backlund was able to reinvent himself. And finally, we saw a different side of the good old boy, goody two-shoes, Bob Backlund character. And Mick Foley. What can you say? The three faces of Foley. Cactus Jack, Mankind, Dude Love. Mick Foley made such an impressionable mark in this industry. I am honored here on the SNS Radio Network to relive and celebrate the careers of these three fine individuals and performers. Thank you, and I look forward to being on hand in Madison Square Garden to watch each and every one of you become a member, an official member of the WWE 
Hall of Fame. Each and every one of you are so deserving. Thank you so much for joining us for part one of the 2013 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. We're just days away from WrestleMania as we come to the end of WrestleMania month here at Beyond the Bell. Stay tuned for part two, which features Donald Trump, Booker T, and Bruno Sammartino as we relive the careers of those final three inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame. Also, wrestling fans will cap off WrestleMania month with my presence on site as we document the entire weekend from the Hall of Fame to the weekend independent shows to WrestleMania access culminating at WrestleMania 29. Who knows, maybe we'll throw in the Monday Night Raw right after WrestleMania. So let's take it home, fans, and go for the three count as we're about to get ready to start our show tonight here at an independent wrestling event in the tri-state area. You're saying, where are you, Sean? We're going to keep that a little private to keep the kayfabe, you could say, backstage as the performers are getting ready to entertain the fans in the audience. So, wrestling fans, I'm your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off, and I'll see you in just a couple of days when we present part two of the 2013 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Good night, everybody. Until our next edition, I'll see you at the matches.